Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela. And I am Lori. And in today's episode, we are answering your questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this episode. We really appreciate all of your ideas and thoughts. We are excited to share our answers with you and give you our individual insights on our own experiences. We hope you'll enjoy this episode. Let's get this party started, shall we? (laughs) Yes, we shall. So thanks, everyone, once again, for all of the questions that you sent out. Um, Daniela pretty much runs our Instagram page, and she did a great job of, you know, promoting it and getting questions out there for you or just letting you know that we were taking questions and we got uh we got a lot of questions so I'm excited for this conversation today. Yeah, this podcast might run a little bit longer than usual, just throwing it out there, but there's so many really great questions here that we want to make sure we get to everything. You may have to listen to it in a few parts as I do many podcasts. Yes, yes, yes. So Daniela, how here's here's one of our first questions. How do you price your items? Kind of a general question, but a good question. Yeah. So I think pricing is individualized to the seller. So for me personally, um, I tend to price items 20% higher than than what I anticipate getting. So like, let's say there's an item that I know I'll probably get between $45 and $50 for. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to price it in that $65 to $75 range Mm -hmm. just to give myself that space to send out offers or negotiate down to someone. Um, I I like to give myself a little bit of wiggle room. I don't know about you, Lori. Yeah, no, um, I guess I'm not, I don't always think in terms of the 20%, but I would say in general terms, I tend to price on the higher side. to give myself some negotiation. And, and I struggle with it sometimes because even like when I'm doing my YouTube videos and I say, I'm probably going to list this and I say whatever number it is as the, as soon as the number comes out of my mouth, it feels like it's a high price. But unfortunately I feel like with Poshmark, especially there is a lot of um, like kind of the name of the game is negotiating. So, you know, I, um, I had a, $75 item that someone offered me $15 for this morning or $11. Yeah. And it's having the heart. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, come on. Like you can't even play ball with that, you know? So, so anyways, um, some people are just trying to gauge where you are at. Um, but yeah. And, and I also price based on comparable sold items. So, um, sometimes before I price an item, I may think it's worth either a lot or a little. And then when I go into Poshmark and I look at sold listings, that may indicate something different than my initial thoughts were, or it may confirm. And then I usually take it from there. But if I look, if I look at 10 items, I'm probably going to be one of the higher priced items. So do you change what you were, what your thoughts were on the pricing because of what the comps say? Like, I know for me personally, I'll look at comps and, um, I may or may not agree with them. I think like nine times out of 10, I don't agree with them. And I still price the way that I want to price because I know the value of the item. Mm. Um, I feel like Poshmark can be skewed sometimes because 
you have actual resellers on the app and then you have people that are just selling their things and they don't care how much they're selling it for. So I feel like the prices can be kind of skewed. I totally agree with you. And I know what you're saying. Um, if I see an item and I know it's an item, like you said, that I, that I have faith in, or I feel like I'll get more. If I see an outlier, like if I, if I'm looking at 10 sold listings for a particular item and four of them are say 10 to $18, and then three or three to five of them are on the other end of the spectrum, like 50 or 60. I almost like disregard the 10 to $18 ones. Like I feel like either someone was just trying to unload it you know, I don't necessarily take that into account, but if I average them out, yeah, I, I do. The comps, the comps guide me a little bit. Yeah. I think they guide me more when I'm actually sourcing, I guess, instead of when I'm listing. Oh, okay. I feel like I pay more attention to them when I'm sourcing because it kind of gives me an idea of, okay, this is kind of the range where it's at. Okay. This is the price that their thrift store is selling it for. Is it worth it kind of thing? Like whether or not you'll even pick it up. That's, that, right. that's a deciding factor for you. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of work. But going off of pricing, Lori, another question that came to us was, do you use offers to likers and why or why not? Um, I feel like I overuse offers to likers. So, so my answer to that is a big yes. Um, I send out offers to likers all the time and, and it's a strategy that I call collecting likes. So I may list something 10 minutes ago and if I list it for $75 and you like it, I don't send an offer immediately because I don't want to be like too crazy. But you know, 50, 20 to 30 minutes later, um, I'll send an offer um, you know, for between 10 and 20% off that price. Because if I can have a quick flip right away, I would love it. And um, it also gives me an idea of how the, the item's going to go. So I'll send offers, but I won't go below a certain point. So say it's a bins thing and I have it listed at $35 and it costs me $2, say, at the bins. I'll send out a 20% offer right off the bat. And... Um, And then just wait and wait and wait. But then my likes will collect and collect and collect. And if I don't sell it at 20%, and maybe in a week or two, when I have like 20 likes on that item, then I'll drop it to 30%. And then that 30% will go out to 20 people. And then I feel like there's more of a sense of urgency on the other end. And then if I don't sell it for 30%, then I know maybe I'm priced a little high or I just haven't found the right buyer yet. Do you ever relist it if your offers to likers doesn't work? I rarely relist. And I think it's just a function of just having so many items in my closet. There are a few items I know for sure right now, as I talk to you, that I need to relist. I have a Stella McCartney um, Adidas hoodie that is tremendous. And it's been in my closet for over a year. And there's no reason that it shouldn't have sold. I think I listed initially for 68 or $70. And I think I got that $45 offer like four, five, no, probably like four or five weeks into it. And I should have taken it. And now I have it listed at $35 and it's not moving. And that's just simply too low for a Stella McCartney sweatshirt, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, and now's the time too, Lori. It's New Year's resolution. It's time. New Year's. Exactly. So, and then I have like a, a free people velvet bag, new with tag that I think I have 56 likes on. Um, so yeah, there are certain items right now I know that I could pull and relist and have some success with, cause that's something you practice a lot, correct? 
Yeah, I do. So I made a New Year's resolution to myself when it came to offers to likers after looking at all my data that um, I send out too many offers to likers with the discounted shipping, in my opinion. So mm -hmm. I am trying to stop that as much as I can. Um, instead of sending out the general offers to likers by giving the discounted shipping right away, what I'm doing is I'm going into, so if someone likes an item, I'm going to that person's closet, I'm going into their bundle, I'm either sending them a message like, hey, thank you so much for the like, um, you know, if you're interested in purchasing, let me know and we can negotiate a price and, or if they bundled a couple things, I'll add them to the bundle and, um, and I'll, I'll leave them a note as well. And I try to do it that way now. So it's, it's actually given me some success this, the past few weeks since I started. Oh, that's good. Yeah. The bundle thing works a lot. Like if mm -hmm. I find somebody, unless they're a new person, do you, do you do that? Like if you see somebody is like, like 10 items and then you click on their profile yeah. and yeah. they're brand new to the app. Some people don't realize that when they like things on Poshmark, they're likely to get an offer and they'll just go in and they think it's like Facebook or Instagram where they're just like liking things. I was guilty really of that when I first started. I had no idea what it meant. So was I. I feel like that's everyone. Like this should be almost like an initiation to Poshmark so that you understand what everything means. Um, but I think what I'm going to do going forward is the offers to likers I'll, I'll do on items that have been sitting for probably 60 days um, mm. that aren't going to go to the real real. I'll probably send out a 20% with discounted shipping. And then I don't like things to go longer than 60 days before relisting. So yes, I do practice relisting. I, I tried, especially an item that I know that can sell. I want it to move. Like I you want it to move. And those, those are the pieces and there's only a handful of them, but I mean, out of like 1200 listings, I, I can think of like 10 that I just have no business just leaving there. Like it's just sheer laziness and the fact that I have other things to list. Um, there are like junk shirts that I bought, you know, a year and a half ago that are just sitting there and I just laugh at them when I look at them. But at the same time, I feel like I do have many, many items priced over $50, $60 in my closet. And I like to have items that are $15 or less. For a buyer who might be watching me on YouTube and wants to check out my closet, I don't, I don't really want everything to be so expensive. I just, I kind of like to have the balance. And so some of those silly items that I look at and say, why did I ever buy them? They still sell sometimes in bundles. So I don't know. Space isn't a huge issue for me. So I feel like it's not bothering me so much. Certain pieces bother me, but I don't know. Yeah. I think it, it, it all depends, right? It all depends on your style and what you're yeah. comfortable keeping and, and holding on to and what you feel comfortable picking up. Right. But yeah, offers to likers is a tool that I use. And um, I know some people will do offers to likers like once a week. And, and they're very systematic, like they'll send them or they, they don't send offers to likers until they have at least 10 likes on an item, or they'll send them on like a Thursday, Friday when people are getting paid. They're much more strategic about it than I am. I am like a, yeah, like I kind of just go with it. But I mean, a little bit sometimes with me, it's like, you know, you, you throw something at a lot of likers in a day and like sometimes they'll stick, you know, it's like you, you have, you ask five times for a yes, you get five no's before a yes, yes. but eventually I get the yes, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think it also depends on the day. Like, you know, the, the weekends obviously always tend to do better because people get paid. Mm -hmm. um, and I think more people are lounging around like on a Friday night, a Saturday night, you know, they, they're just searching the app for different things. So that is a good time to send out offers to likers if that's, if that is your thing to do. 
You know, it is another like quick strategy before we move on to the next one. If I have someone who is active on the app and I have like insomnia and I'm up at like 1.30 or two in the morning, which is rare, but if I happen to be up that late and someone's like trolling my <laughs> Poshmark closet and sending likes, don't you feel like you make like crazy decisions in the middle of the night? Like when you're just exhausted and you're like, True. I really need that. I really need that sweater right now. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes I'll start conversations at like two in the morning and, and I've had a, some success with that too. So sending That's out a lot of our West coast people, like right? Like they're still up because it's 2 a.m. here, but it's, what, 11 there, so. That's true, that's true. Yeah, I almost feel like we missed out, because most of my sales come from the West Coast, so I almost try to prolong everything that I do during the day, like an offers to liker, to a time that my West Coast friends are more active on the app. It's hard to do though, man, because I'm tired. Like, it's 10, 15 at night now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm you not. You hear it in my voice, yeah. <laughs> and you're what? I said, and I'm not looking at Poshmark right now. Like, it's, I don't care. <laughs> right. No, it's too late right now for us East Coast yeah. girls. Yes, yes, yes. All right. What do we have next? Um, what do you think is the most helpful thing to do on Poshmark to generate sales? Uh, let me see. I think listing is probably the most helpful thing that you can do. Now, totally there, agree. There are other things you can do, like the sharing and um, following people and all of that stuff. However, your items that you're listing is what's bringing in the money. So the more items that you're able to list, theoretically, the more sales are going to come in. That's right. Yep, I totally agree. And sometimes even if I have items, I'm not like super excited to list. If I can just grab them and take, like if I have limited time and um, I have a couple things hanging around, I'm like, I'm just going to list these because it's just like, in my brain, I have to get at least five a day listed. Um, so once those five are done, you know, I, I like to be more like 10 a day, but like on a day like today where I did a lot of um, other things, like uh, just other things outside of Poshmark, but still work related, as long as I get those five in. But yeah, I, and I think most people you ask will say list. Yeah, I agree. When in doubt, you know, list. If you can't commit to five listings or 10 listings, list one thing. You know, it, it, whatever you can do, it's just keep feeding it. Yeah. yeah. It's not a bad idea to bulk photo photograph, which means take like images, take pictures, I'm sorry, of like 40 items, right? And you have them stored on your phone and then you just list one or two a day. So you're not stressing out about having to photograph and list. You're just, you have one day designated to photographing everything and then you have the whole week to list these items. So totally agree. Like I thought actually after I've, was supposed to babysit today and then it ended up falling falling through but as I was walking out the door I was thinking of all the things I had to do for Poshmark and YouTube today and I knew we had to talk and I was like you know and I just thought to myself well I know I have enough photos in my phone that when the baby's sleeping or I get I get a moment I can list here and there for the next couple hours and I'll get my listings in like having photos stored on my phone gives me a lot of peace of mind because I do that all the time yeah, I think that's super important to remember to schedule into your work day is to have either a day or like a couple of hours a week designated to just taking all those pictures so that you're set and you don't have to stress out about photographing and listing at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. That That's very helpful. So um, the next, next question, question here, Lori, I don't, 
I won't be able to answer 100%, but maybe you can. Um, someone had asked us our opinion on getting feedback on eBay and how to encourage a buyer to leave feedback. So I don't know your thoughts on that. Um, oh, I am bad about this. So I currently have, a, people are going to cringe. My eBay listeners are going to unfollow me. Um, I, think, I think I have like 11 or 12 items right now that I need to leave feedback on like that are probably a month I'm totally that person too and it's it's not I'm not doing it to be malicious or anything and I know some people are real sticklers for feedback they give it right away they want it right away um and I think because eBay is not my primary platform I'm a little too chill about it because um you know, I get all bummed out if somebody gives me four stars on Poshmark, but on eBay, and I feel like I've been slapped around so much on eBay. I'm like, I'm just submissive. I'm like, oh my God, just whack me one more time. I'm fine. Um, yeah. But as far as feedback goes, I feel, I don't even, I don't even know who owes me feedback. That's how bad I am. So I, I don't know. I don't think we're the people to ask. This yeah, question. No, I, I agree. <laughs> eBay is like a secondary thing for Lori and I. Like it's not something like it's not our main source, put it that way. It's like, oh, I get a sale once a month. Cool. Like it's extra money. You know, I don't look at it as um I need to get the feedback to grow my eBay store because I don't have an eBay store. I just sell on the platform. I don't pay for a storefront. Uh, right. But in the future, we will have an episode with someone who is an expert on eBay. Yeah, yeah, which I think will be good for our podcast because yes. we just we want to make sure we get all the information out. So, I mean, I've been a member of eBay for decades, and I think you probably have too. And um, it's the thing I struggle, my own internal struggle, is everybody I know who consistently lists on both platforms ends up doing more on eBay because yeah. they have more sales. And I will say, I get more full price sales from people on eBay. I get way more lowball offers on items that I have on Poshmark. The sharing is a pain, but for whatever reason, I don't know if I'm just a glutton for punishment, I still like Poshmark better. Like I'm just in a rhythm with it. But I think when I see people who start on Poshmark and then they start listing on eBay and eventually eBay takes over, I think I'm seeing it right now with Becky Park. Mm -hmm. um, she is somebody who is afraid to list on eBay. She's kind of brought all of her viewers. Becky Park is on um, YouTube and she has a wonderful channel, very transparent. And um, she started, she was afraid to list on eBay. She got slapped around too, made a few errors. And, um, but now she will report in her What's Old videos and say, you know, eBay beat Poshmark. I remember the first week she said, I was so surprised my eBay sales were better than Poshmark. And now I feel like it's a regular thing. Like eBay is consistently beating Poshmark. And, and I question my own plan sometimes because I'm not more active on eBay. But my focus right now is on YouTube and Poshmark. So I don't know. I don't know I don't if know. I have the, the patience to consistently list on eBay. Even though I'm using a cross-posting extension, I just, there's so many fields in eBay, but then here's my problem. I wish Poshmark had more fields, but not to the extent of eBay. Like, I don't think I'll ever be happy. 
I don't think. Yeah, it would be nice to have somewhere in between. I agree. I'm at the point, Danielle, I had so many returns in December and I made so many mistakes that I literally, when I get a notification from eBay, I get a pain in my stomach. No, I I get like this sick feeling like, oh my God, what did I do now? Like it's terrible. It's terrible. And I, and I think that's it. Like I am, I'm always preaching, like, do what you love, do what makes you feel good, do what brings you joy. eBay just does none of that for me. So I don't know, maybe eventually. Yeah. I don't, I I don't have much else to, to give you on uh, feedback on eBay. Okay. So let's move on. Yeah. Moving on. (laughs) For a future episode that we're going to have and and we'll get all the information on eBay then it's coming soon. Promise. Yeah. So what is your process from purchase to when you list the item online? Like photographing listing inventory we've we've kind of like talked a little bit about this in just kind of what we were talking about with um storing photos and such but yeah so i am the uh epitome of efficiency i would say so Mm -hmm. for example when Lori and i got home from the bins in maine i like hit the ground running i started cleaning the items i had stuff in the wash i was um photographing things. I was putting things in inventory. Like I am someone that when I get home from sourcing, I am doing all the things that I need to do. I'm going to clean them. I don't steam anymore. I already shared that in the last episode. I I do not steam unless I absolutely have to. Um, Mm -hmm. I also, here's another reseller, uh, I guess, big no, no, but I don't measure anymore. Um, I, I'm trying to streamline my process as much as possible, unless it's an item that that should be measured. Like I'll measure a bag here and there, or if something doesn't have a tag and it's not clear exactly what size it is, I'll stick the measurements in there. But I'm like, ask me what the measurements are. I'm not going to spend time putting mm. them in my listing ahead of time. So that's just my own personal preference. There's no right or wrong way on that. Um, I photograph them. I inventory everything. And then I will list as the days go on throughout the week. So I kind of get it all done in one day, all that like back office type work. And then I will list maybe five items one day, 10 items another day, two items another day. Like I don't really have um, like a listing schedule. I just kind of list when I have time because I do work full time. And I like to have a life uh, somewhat. That's cool. I like that. That's good. That's what I do. And it keeps me organized. Because Danielle is like the girl in the front row with her hand up all the time. <laughs> she knows. Yeah, like yeah. as an adult, so as, as, as a younger Daniela, not so much, but as an adult, yes. <laughs> no, I, like I to love get it. Done. It's, like it's so I good. I don't want to see it. I think that's what it is. I don't want to see it. It needs to be taken care of. If I just spent money on it, it needs to be ready to go to be listed, so I can make my money. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit for like the, maybe some of the moms or whatever here. Cause like the normal people out there, because no, because I feel, I feel what you're doing. I wish I could do that sometimes, but like if I'm gone for the day from my family for five or six hours and I walk through the door and I spend another five or six hours working, like I just, I just can't do it. Like they, they need me. I, and I have, older children, but I'll still need to walk in and like, what's everybody doing? Where does Rocco need to go? Who needs dinner? Like if sometimes if I source on a Saturday, like oftentimes if I go to the bins, um, the, my, 
all of our teenagers, they don't move until like 11 a.m. on a Saturday unless there's sports. So Jay and I will wake up and have coffee and we'll be like sitting downstairs having coffee at like 6.30 and I'll say, do you want to take me to the bins? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got nothing to do. The, the, the kids are quiet. No one's going to move for five hours. Like yeah, literally right? no one's going to move for five hours. So I'm like, all right, why don't we go? And Jay hits the grocery store, which is awesome. He loves to grocery shop. And then he'll stay at the bins with me for like 30 minutes. And on those days, like we go, I'll source for three hours. Jay will go to the grocery store. He'll come in. He'll, he'll, he'll putz around for a little bit with me. Then I'll get home. The kids will still be sleeping. And then I can like dig in a little on a Saturday. But if I'm coming home at night, it's hard for me. So I tend to, I tend to list in batches and my really productive time is in the morning once the kids go to school. Yeah. So like, yeah, so they're gone at like 7.30 and I will grab coffee. I go downstairs to my basement, which is where all my stuff is located. Um, I will have like put laundry in and stuff. Like I'll wash stuff for the bins because that's something that can happen alongside interacting with my family. Mm -hmm. And I'll like wash clothes and get things ready. But then like 7.30 comes around, the kids go and I go downstairs and I find like the best time for me is to just take photos between like 7.30 and 9.30. And what I often do with my process is I'll take my photos and I'll only edit like my first picture and I'll save it to a draft and I'll do my measurements right there. So I'll photograph, I'll edit one photo, like brighten it using um, PicTapGo is the app that I typically use. So I'll take my eight photos. I will take my first photo. And then once I'm uploading the photo, because you know how it takes a little time when you're uploading it to Poshmark, yep. um, I will then quickly do my measurements while it's uploading. And then I will, I just do chest like pit to pit in length. That's all I do. And then on pants, I do waist rise inseam. So while my first picture is uploading, I will do my measurements and then I'll go right into description and I'll just do chest this length length, this length. That's all I'll record. And then I'll save it as a draft. So I literally only have my first picture and my measurements. And then you can only save like 10 drafts or 15 drafts at a time. What is, is it 15? I don't know. It's either 10 or 15. I never 10 or 15. I don't really, I don't really get to that point because like I, I'll, so I'll, I'll do that and I'll take drafts. And if it's something that doesn't need measuring like a phone case or jewelry or sneakers or whatever, then I don't even save it as a draft. So I will take my pictures and then save them as drafts. Maybe if it's like a really quick listing that doesn't require measurement, I'll just list it right there in the moment. And, um, and then I kind of go about my day. But it, for me, I'm the most productive if I get my pictures done first thing in the morning um, and then list throughout the day. But what they're also asking to listing in, oh, inventory. Oh, my mom does packaging for me, but um, she's been on vacation since Christmas. She's got, I'm going to dock her pay. No. <laughs> Which is like, she takes like peanuts, like I'm like shoving money down her bra when she leaves because um, she doesn't take money. Um, but she hasn't, she hasn't done packaging for me in a while. So right now I have two Ikea bags full of photographed and listed items that just need to be put in my inventory. So I'm chipping away at that until I see my mom again. I guess in terms of inventory, I know we took, kind of talked about this the last time, um, I use bins. I know Lori uses bins and our, our process is actually pretty similar. Like I have a dress bin, I have a jeans bin, I have a sweaters bin, and that's just kind of how I do it. 
uh, and it works for me. I don't use like a letter or number system or anything like that. I just honestly, those, those systems like totally confuse me. And, and I think my system is crazy for other people. Yeah. Because I yeah. think when I the mean, people, when I the people who are using the bins, they put a certain number of items in each bin. And once they hit 20 pieces or whatever, yeah. or once the bin gets full, they, they don't use it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. My system is far from perfect, but it's, well, it's I'm an organized person, and I feel like I couldn't do the whole letter number thing. And I'm a very organized person, but I like I like categories, I guess, over a letter and number. I don't know. That's I think it's fun. more of a, I think there are very organized people that do it. I just think it's more of a stylistic thing, and not are you organized or not organized. I think it's just more like style like for me like i i appreciate like items together the, the the most narrowing down that i've done recently is um like i have four bins that are all tops from left mm -hmm. to right all clear bins and i've um done them like in the color of the rainbow where like i have all my lighter tones on the left and then i have reds and pinks and then greens, yellows, blues, and then purples and blacks. Like I kind of wow. spread it out. So if it's a dark shirt, I go to the right because that's where my dark items are. I mean, I'm starting to like filter it a little bit, but um, it's still not a perfect system. You know, sometimes there's a blue in the black bin and there's like a beige in the, <laughs> because I don't, I don't have every color of the rainbow. I have four bins, but like I, I started doing basically light to dark and, and that's helped me further organize. That's a pretty fancy idea there, Lori. <laughs> you like that? Yes, I do. I would have never thought of that. I like that. Okay. All, All right. right. Next next question. How do you handle cases on Poshmark where the buyer is obviously not truthful or has damaged the item intentionally to force a return? Do you fight the case after the case is approved or just accept and return and trash the item when received back? Oh, God. This is like a loaded question. Mm. Um so first off, when I handle a case, so if a case gets opened up, I typically just let Poshmark do their thing. I'm not one to like sit there and start responding unless um, there's something like this that may occur, like the item was intentionally damaged. And But here's, herein lies the problem. Like you need to make sure to have the proof to back it up. So if you only have the photos that were listed on Poshmark to show like, hey, this is what it looked like when I listed it. This is what it looks like now that, you're, that you've received the item. Like clearly something happened in transaction. So I feel like you almost need photos of you packaging the items in this situation. I know, instance, which right? you can't, like, you can't have that. No, but it, it's, it would drive you insane to do that, you know? Um, so I think personally, if this had happened to me, I probably wouldn't have fought, the, I probably wouldn't fight the case because the chances of you winning it are actually pretty slim because there's no way. Yeah, I don't, to I, yeah, I don't know. I have to say, geez, Lou, my oh, dog is here like, hey, Lou. hello, young lady. We are off schedule tonight, aren't we? Oh, she's so cute. Um, what was I going to say? It's never happened to me. Knock on wood. That's I've had, good. Um, I've had plenty of returns, but I've never had a, like a bogus return come back to me that was damaged. Um, I had a return today, in fact, that I said nothing about because um, it was a vintage one-piece bathing suit, like a miracle suit, and the tag had um, 
I, I couldn't read the tag. It looked like the tag had completely faded. So yeah. I said, I don't know what the size is. I think it's a medium with a question mark. And I gave the chest measurements, the leg opening, the girth. Um, and then I sold it, but I marketed it as like a medium eight ten is what I was estimating at looking at it and based on the measurements. Right. And I gave the measurements. Well, when the buyer received it, she obviously had younger eyes than mine, and she was able to make out that it said large twelve fourteen, which I would have like bet thirty bucks that there was nothing on that tag. <laughs> I really need to read my readers. Where are my readers more often? So. When it popped up, she was just, she was very nice about it. She just said, unfortunately, it's way too big for me. Like it says medium. I could have said, well, I included measurements because I do include measurements because I feel like measurements are like my best thing for an argument. Like I provided you with measurements. I took a picture of the size tag, that sort of thing. But in this case, they sided with her and I just said nothing because I didn't see the writing on the tag. And, um, she did. And so it was a mess up on my end. So I just took it back. Yeah. And I think I, the whole Poshmark case thing too, like th there's been really, there's been times where I feel like I've pled my case and I don't understand why the item was returned to me when everything was written out, you know? And so I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to handle these cases. I really don't. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're getting the item back and you can oh, bless you, Lulu, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like ignoring the fact that she's like rolling around sneezing. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Daniela says, God bless you. Um, oh my gosh. Um, I lost track of what I was saying. You were just saying like, you, you just, you pledge your, your case and they yeah. probably still sided with the buyer. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of what it, it is in a, in a retail store, right? Like the buyer's always right kind of thing. Yeah. So and clearly on eBay. Oh Clearly. yeah, 100%. Like no matter what the buyer. 150% is what I'm learning. But like the funny thing about Poshmark is I feel like the pendulum is swinging that way because when I would say even six months ago, I haven't had a ton of cases open, but you get a couple a month. Yeah. I mean, if I'm selling over a hundred items in a month, 120 items, there's going to be a couple returns, you know? Um, but I feel like the pendulum is swinging more towards eBay where they're just accepting more and it doesn't really matter what I say. And because I went through a, a streak where people were opening cases. I mean, but they would be like, you know, the, the arms are long and it fits small, even though it says a large. And that is like exactly what I put in the description. Like this is a large, but it runs small and the arms seem excessively long. And this is the measurement. Like yeah. that was my exact description. And they, they went in my favor. I wouldn't, I mean, we're, we're talking a long time about this, but I would just say, don't get bent out of shape about returns. It's hard sometimes not to take them personally, but as your business grows, you just have to churn through things. I mean, it's item by item. I would be very sad if I had a nice piece get destroyed. Like that would really upset me. It hasn't happened, but I also feel like I would fight it tooth and nail. And you know, if somebody was like blatantly lying, I, I, I'm very understanding of miscommunication or like with the bathing suit, I made a mistake. I had an item that I, that was, um, like a child's item, but I, I thought it was a woman's item. And even though I gave measurements, the woman, the, the person argued it was a kid's vest. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. You know what I mean? So those I can get over. If someone was really malicious, I wouldn't have a hard time, but it's just part of the business. Loop, yeah, loop. it is. I mean, at the end of the day, when a store 
you know, accepts a return, you know, they, they chuck it up as a loss. So I guess to answer your question, yes, you guess you would have to, you, at this point you would accept the return and just, you know, put it in your move loss. on. Yeah. Move. I on. mean, one benefit we do have to having an online online business is that we don't have to worry about theft, which is a real right. problem in right. every single brick and mortar store. Yep. So, you know, if our loss is a couple pieces that we buy thrifted for $5 that gets damaged and it costs us the shipping back, you know, it's, you have to look at the big picture. Yeah, I agree. So okay, the next, next question, question, the next question we kind of already answered, um, do you inventory everything individually? What is the best way to do this? How do you stay on track and organized? So I feel like we kind of touched on this already. Yeah. I mean, I think it's best to put away your inventory as you list it because yeah. I have, I used to do that and I don't anymore. I wait around for my mom and it hasn't been good. It just makes more clutter. Like the faster you can take care of things, the better. Yep. Not always easy organized. to do, but huh? It's, it just helps you stay organized. Right. For sure. Best way to track profit. Can mm. I skip this question? No. <laughs> well, now, actually, um, now it's, oh my goodness. I think she has to go out. Oh my God. She's tapping on my iPad. Stop. <laughs> do you hear her? Yes. You crazy woman. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry. I think I may have to take her out. Um. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So I'm going to talk about best way to track profit because we had a little Lulu situation, but okay, here we go. Best way to track profit. I think the best way to track profit is simply by keeping track of your um, receipts. So however you decide to do that, I use a spreadsheet and I um, basically have like a, a tab where I have all of my purchases that I've made. And then I have other tabs. Now everyone's organization system is different. So I don't, I take pictures of my receipts as well. So I know how much I've spent on everything throughout the month, the week, however I'm looking at it. And then on another portion of my spreadsheet, I actually list each item. Um, I average the cost of everything I bought on the trip. So I'll have like chunks. So let's say I bought 10 things at Savers today. I'll list all 10 of the items, the day I purchased it, where I purchased it from, which would be savers, um, the average cost of the goods. So I'll take the total number that I've spent. So let's say it's $29. I'll separate, I'll divide that by the 10 items. I'll list that in there. Um, I have a column for the date it sold, then what my net profit is from each yeah, item that's that sold. Impressive. Plus at the bottom, I'll have like a total. So each chunk will have like um, total net profit from this. Uh, I don't know what I called it from this trip or whatever. And then I'll yeah. have that. And then I have a separate um, sheet that will total each net profit together per month because every month has its own tab. So that's the way that I do it. But you could use Poshmark's um, 
report they have as well. You could look at it that way. If you're not spreadsheet savvy, um, that, that's another way to do it as well. Yeah. So I, um, I am transitioning from a notebook to a spreadsheet and very proud of myself. Um, it's very, it's very basic though. I'm actually just tracking the date that I purchased something. I am averaging my cost of goods as well, um, from a particular trip. And I just write, write it down. And and sometimes I try to get a little descriptive because sometimes I use my um, spreadsheet if I'm sitting down and doing a lot of listings um, I'll use some of the descriptive words from there. But um, other than that, I use one credit card um, for all of my purchases and uh, we track it at the end of the month. So, um, you know, we just basically pull up the credit card statement or at whatever point we want to see how much was spent. And then um, really when it sells, really at the end of the year, like everything gets tallied up and I go, but but I'll go through the spreadsheet and the reports monthly or bi-monthly and like catch myself up on what has sold in that respect. But I'm, I'm definitely not as systematic as you are, Danielle, but somehow we make it work at the end of the year. Yeah. It's really not my, Jay, Jay really takes on that because he is an accountant and he keeps track of that stuff. But I mean, the, the one credit card helps the writing everything down when I walk through the door. So I have a record of it. That's a very good habit to get into. I think. Yeah, I agree. And miraculously, I, one good habit I had since the beginning is like just writing things down right away. Um, yeah, I used one. So I have a debit card that I opened up specifically for reselling. So all the money that I make on Poshmark goes on there. And then those are the funds that I use to purchase items to resell. So um, sometimes I use that account for other things, but it's majority just for, you know, reselling, reselling purposes. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Next question's way more fun. Yes, it is. <laughs> Boston <laughs> versus New Hampshire bins. Which is better and why? So Lori, mm. you just had a video on this. I did. The timing of this is really good. Um, so I had only been to the Boston bins one other time for a very limited amount of time. And then my husband had to fly out to Houston earlier in the week. And I just happened to have a friend who happened to be in Boston and happened to be at the bins and had a doctor's appointment and was going back afterwards. So she met me there. She got me all fired up to go and I went and I just found myself with a free day to be there. So I was there for about four or five hours. And um, really generally speaking, I feel like Boston gets better inventory more consistently. I have found some great things at the bins, which we've talked about before in New Hampshire, but I feel like generally Boston has a little bit more of a fashion is more a fashion region than Hudson, New Hampshire. And I think um, they have really good stuff. I felt like I was finding stuff faster. However, um, they have the deep bins, which I just can't get used to. And I actually got one of my first really mean comments on um, YouTube tonight. And it was about that. Somebody made a comment about um, Poshmark people being snobs and being too good to dig through the bins because they don't really they're not real thrifters they are i, I want to read it for real but anyways it made some reference to that and my mother called me and she was all offended i'm like mom i'm not even worried about it no i mean um, the bins have actually nothing the actual bin itself has nothing to do with the sourcing technique it, it's just 
reference. So. It was a matter of time too, for me. Like if I could have, I, I had to get home to my family. Um, so yeah, the, the, it, it just is a workout on your arms. And as I said, in my video, I stood next to like the beefy guys and they would like, they were flying through those bins. Yeah. And I literally just sat next to them. And as they threw stuff my way, we were kind of looking for very different things. I would get stuff, but, um, that's my take. And I, in the Goodwill store attached to Boston is monumentally better than the Goodwill oh God, store yes. attached. I don't even bother going into the New Hampshire one. Yeah. So I actually, I was going to say, if I had to pick like Goodwill store, it'd be Boston all day long. Hands um, down. They have amazing things in, in the Goodwill store that's attached. But in terms of bins, I really have to say New Hampshire wins for me just because I really don't like digging through those really shallow bins in Boston. It's, the deep bins, you mean? Yeah, the deep ones. I'm sorry. It does a number on your back and on your arms, and they're just so filled. There's no way you're looking at everything. It's impossible. You're missing stuff along the way. I think that that's the most discouraging part for me is I know I'm missing stuff. Yeah. I mean, unless... Unless I'm there for eight or nine hours, which I just don't really have um, in my current situation. I would love it. I would love to be there for that long. Um, but I just, uh, I feel like I'm missing, I feel like it's very hard to be systematic. So for, for listeners who haven't been to the bins, the ones in New Hampshire are about a foot deep and they might be piled a foot high, like not yeah. even. Not even, um, no. And the ones in Boston are like, four feet deep. So they're like at your waist and they go all the way to the ground and they're like a rolling like bin. And, um, and it's just, so the first time I went to Boston though, they kept like an empty bin in between the full bins. Oh, really? That wasn't so bad. So as you went through a bin, you kind of tossed it into the empty bin next to you and that bin would fill up and then you would take what you needed, but you at least felt like you were making progress because you were moving through a bin in some sort of systematic way, yeah. which is so easy to do in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's a little bit like some people might love that because it was like this, um, you know, you have this opportunity to just dig and dig and you don't know what you're going to find where in New Hampshire, you can kind of rifle through a bin and you're like, yeah, that's done. There's nothing in there. Yeah. And I, I think too, going back to the brands that you find in New Hampshire versus Boston. So in Boston, you're going to find a lot of like Madewell and anthropology and you'll find some designer pieces too, but you're going to find a lot more of those brands um, where in New Hampshire, you'll find it here. And they're like, I've found Bowdoin before in New Hampshire. I know. Yes. Sure. I found designer things in New Hampshire too, but you're, you're going to see a lot of LLB and you're going to see a lot of American Eagle um, what else do we see a lot in New Hampshire? Um, I'm trying to think like Clark's. Yeah. Clark's dance goes, you're going to see a lot of that Sorrel. You're going to see a lot of that. More of like comfort, comfort mm -hmm. outdoorsy. So less fashion, but I mean, still some of this stuff sells well, like L.O. Bean, certain pieces from L.O. Bean sell well for me. Um, it's just a different crowd you're marketing to. I have actually very much embraced selling outdoor gear because I find a lot of good stuff like Bogner, vintage Bogner and good LL Bean pieces and Sorel and, and, and all those sorts of brands. And, and I think um, I hear a lot of that for the people who shop in um, Colorado as well. Yeah. A lot and, of and outdoor you, you brands. You will find athletic wear too at the New Hampshire bins. 
Um, yep, I've definitely found a fair share of Lululemon there. Yep. Yeah. Lululemon so Athleta. So yeah. Um, not one is not like one is not better than the other. It's just a little different from each other. Just like I mean, you could throw in the the main the Gorm Bill. Um, sorry, I can't even speak right now. The main bins that we went to, uh, they oh, yeah. are like a New Hampshire Boston mix. I guess would be a good way to. Yeah, I guess they were just polite. That was like my, my most overwhelming feeling about them is, is so organized. So polite. The workers were incredible. Like, uh, although the workers are great everywhere. I have fun with everybody. Um, Oh, I do want to mention this about Boston. Okay. Now lucky is scratching his face. (laughs) This is so bad. Um, Boston items are sold by the item and yeah, then in New the Hampshire pound. items are sold by the pound. Yeah. So the interesting thing about Boston, um, there was somebody who there who, um, who recognized me and we chatted a little bit. Um, she was somebody who I just met for the first time, but she was kind of giving me the tips cause that's like her home base is the Boston bins. And she was saying, you know, when you go to the register, this person's really nice. Like she'll give you a break. This guy's a stickler. He's going to count everything. And, and it's a little unsettling because you don't really know, like it's going to be subjective when you get up to the register. Um, because my, the woman who checked me out was very sweet. She was fair, but like I had like a pile of shirts and she was like, yeah, okay. There's like five there. Well, there were probably seven. And you know, like when she she looked at a couple things and she's like, oh, that's a kid's item. I'll charge you a dollar for that. Or, oh, that's a bathing suit. Or that looks like a light shirt. That's only a dollar. And somebody no. else could have rang it out very differently. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I love that. Like, I don't- yeah, no, it's, it's, I can see why you don't. It's, it's, um, it's unpredictable. And if you're going on a budget, you yep. know, well, I guess if you're going on a budget and you're counting your pieces and you know the prices are a dollar seventy five and jackets are three dollars and shoes are three dollars. So one of the things I said in my video is in Boston, I was looking for coats and for heavy items and boots. And when I'm in New Hampshire, if I find like a silk blouse, I'm very excited because it will cost me 20 cents. But I was leaving a lot of those behind in Boston because I'm like, well, I don't know how much money this is going to get me. And it's still going to be the same dollar seventy five as this like Irish knit sweater. You know what I mean? Right. So you shop differently, but I mean that I kind of like that about different bins. Like there's pros and cons to every bins, oh, every yeah. bin you go you to. Experience so, them all, no matter what. I think that's my mission. I want to work my way across the country and just go to bins How and film. Would that be? So much fun! So much fun! Okay, we covered the bins. Yes. Next. How long are we? What number are we at here? How long have we been chatting? I don't know. We're just going to keep on going. We're going to keep going. What's our next question? Next Boston question versus. Here. Okay. At what point should you worry about followers to build your closet? Does it drive activity to your closet? Um, hmm. I don't necessarily think followers matter in terms of your item sell through rate. I think having more followers in turn gives you more shares. So yes. Well, it gives you more eyes on your product. So yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if it necessarily increases the, the chances of you selling the item. I don't know because I guess it goes hand in hand. So yes, it drives activity to your closet because if you go on a following spree, you'll notice that your notifications will skyrocket because people are sharing they're, you know, they're sharing things in your closet. They're returning the favor because you followed or maybe you shared some of their items. They're doing the same thing back. 
Um, I can't say that I've necessarily noticed an increase in sales by following more people. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to tell. I mean, yeah. I remember when I first started on Poshmark, I thought something magical was going to happen when I reached ambassador status. And I watched those numbers. I mean, I would come home and my husband would get home from work and I'd be like, I'm up to 3,000 followers. And like, yeah. I was tracking it like it was a big deal. And then they're like, oh, do you want to be an ambassador? And I was like, oh, I'm an ambassador. Like, I really thought yeah, something special really was cool. <laughs> I thought something special was really going to happen. I'm not joking. Like, I was new to the app. I didn't know anybody on Poshmark. I was just kind of doing my thing. And then I was like, okay. And the only thing that I noticed that increased is I got a lot of new buyers. Like, I think I'm uh, new people to Posh. I think ambassadors are recommended to new people. So I was getting a lot of follows from new people. Um, I have, couldn't even tell you how many followers I have right now. I have no idea. I'm going to pull it up right now and see where I am. Uh, I have 110,000 followers, but I've been on the app since 2016. So I don't know if that's good or not. I don't know if it really matters, but it does drive activity to your closet. So yes, it does drive activity. Um, I don't know if it necessarily helps. It depends on what you mean by build your closet, I guess. Like, are you talking in terms of sales? Are you talking in just in terms of growing your Poshmark, like numbers, I guess is really what it comes down to. Right. I mean, I think anytime you're adding numbers, if you're adding numbers to your Instagram or YouTube, I mean, having people paying attention to what you're doing is, I don't think a bad thing. You know what I mean? But I don't know if it's really driving sales. I mean, I do believe when I'm looking for something to purchase, I am going through the search. Yes, me too. Right. So if I'm looking for a particular pair of Nike sneakers, I'm going to type in my size and the color and the brand I want mm -hmm. and it will pop up and then I will go from there. So I'm not really going into it. I mean, I will say now, if like I have somebody who comes to my closet and shares a bunch of things, I'll go into their closet and share back. Um, that's really m where most of my sharing comes from is if I see that somebody's putting an effort in, in my closet, um, I'll go back and try to share at least four or five things. And then I just kind of move on. I, I used to share from the feed. I never share from the feed anymore. Yeah, no, I don't even look at the feed anymore. I don't even look at it. I, I don't, I don't know if it's really necessary. I think as Poshmark has evolved, I don't know if it's a necessary thing anymore. You know, I feel like no one looks at it anymore. I really don't know. I think maybe new people do because that's what maybe. they they tell you to do if you go on to like the how to's on the yeah, Poshmark that's site. That's but um, but anyways, who knows? Maybe if I was, maybe my sales would be increasing. I haven't done it in a while. It might be a nice little experiment to do for a week where I'm just like sharing and following and just doing all the right things and just compare sales from one week to another. That could be a nice. That could be a nice content thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, we'll see. Um, I think it depends too. So I, I know other people out there have done that. Like I know Tori's done that from girly girl style. I think Nicole State's done it a couple of times too. And um, sometimes they notice a difference and sometimes they didn't. So I think it just, it, it just depends. I think there's no real answer. Personally, right? if I'm going to share for two hours or whatever, I feel like I'm better off listing for two hours. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just do. Okay. Next um, how, where are we? We are right here. When should you start adjusting prices of items in your closet to drive activity? 
if you already know your item is priced fairly based on other comps, do you still change the item's price? So just really quickly, um, I think I have certain things that I have marked down, you know, over the course of the 18 months I've been on the app. And um, I have like a bottom line price really. And if I have something priced between like 15 and $20, it's, it's not going to move again until I unlist it. Like I'm not lowering it any further than that. I, agree. I feel like I'll lower things maybe to like $25. Just me, like I, my average selling price is around $31, $32. So I will lower something maybe as low as 20 to 25 and then I won't move it. So I won't send offers really much anymore unless it's something I'm really sick of looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily adjust the prices of my items. Like I don't participate in closet clear out. I did when I first started, I stopped doing that. Um, but I'm kind of on the same page with Lori. Like if I'm either like quote unquote clearancing something out before I'm going to donate it or something, I'll, I'll get it down to like 15 to $10. And then that's kind of my bottom line. I don't, um, change my prices because things aren't selling. Like if I've listed something and it's been up for two weeks, but I'm not getting that much attention on it. Like I'm leaving it. Like I'm not doing anything to it to see if it draws a, a attention to the item. I can and I have that same kind of thought process with the offer to like or two, like I'll send that 20% off and then I kind of leave it there. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with the price too much. Don't you, sometimes I feel like though, they say this about like selling your house. Like sometimes the market is dictating the price. Like even if you think a price is, it should be at this point, you know what I mean? If it's not moving, then maybe it's not worth that much. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that yeah. to myself sometimes. Um, and then, but, but also Daniela, like you're saying you remove things after 60 days and I have things that have been there since August of 2018. So like, I'm thinking to myself, if it hasn't sold yet, like Lori, you just have it priced too high, like lower the price. But I don't love closet clear out because sometimes I have lowered prices on things that I want to just lower temporarily for closet clear out. And then there's like this awkwardness if you want to put the price back up and you've already sent offers and then yep. you send another offer and now it's higher than your first offer because you move the price back. And I just feel like it gets very messy when you Whoa. start doing closet clear out, unless you legit just see something and you just decide it's been priced. Like I have a mink coat, for example, that mm -hmm. I think I listed at like $3.99 or $2.99. And I was just like testing the waters. I've never sold a mink coat. I didn't know what it was worth. The prices are all over the map, literally from $10 to $1,000. So I tried it. And then it just didn't, like, I may have gotten two likes in like two months. And now it's at like two fifty nine. Like, that's something I'll probably keep lowering the price until it sells because I really started high on that. Can I, I mean, I suppose if I really thought it was worth that, I could leave it forever, but. Right. So I have two suggestions for you. One, you can try sending the mink coat to the real real. Um, I know they do accept fur coats. Hmm. So I have to do a real, real thing. I have to. Well, that's my first thing. The second thing I think is when you do closet clear out, <clears throat> um, if these are items, if you're doing closet clear out, I think it should be on items that you're trying to move and get rid of because they've been sitting for a long time. That being said, if you don't want to donate those items after closet clear out, I think you should delete and relist. And that's for everyone out there. I think it's at that point, 
it's time for you to delete and relist them. That's a good idea. I like that. Well, like if, if it's not going out your door, if, if it's something like the Stella McCartney jacket right. I mentioned earlier, like right. if you know it's worth selling, you just relist it or you donate it or you're sending it to Real Real once it kind of filters through. Yeah. I think you need to have those things put in place so that you know, okay, yeah. these are the 15 items I'm going to participate in Closet Clearer on. Let's see if they move. If they don't move, then it's either going to be donated, it's going to be relisted, or it's going to go off to thread up or the real real or whatever you decide, Plato's Closet, whatever avenue you decide to take. That's right. Sense. Yeah, I like that. that. That's a great. That's great. Yeah. So the next question we also kind of answered already um, about the algorithm. So someone asked, is there an algorithm? How do you think it works? And is there a magic formula that you follow? So I'm going to start off and say there is no magic formula. Um, mm -hmm. Every website, no matter what it is, um, whether it's Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Facebook or Instagram, there is always an algorithm of some sort. Basically, the algorithm is dictated by activity. So however active you are on an app or on a website, that is going to dictate what type of algorithm you're going to be put into. So for example, on Poshmark, the more active you are, the more you're listing, the more you're sharing, the more you're following. Theoretically, the algorithm is going to bump you up and make you more visible. Does it always right. work that way? No, because there's other factors that go into it, like new users or users that have been absent on the app for a long time and now are coming back alive. Like those people are going to get a little bit more of a boost than you are. Um, certain items that you have in your closet, like Poshmark has that um, feature where they have like the showrooms. So like if your items happen to be in the showrooms, I think that increases your searchability. Um, there have been instances where mm -hmm. I try to search myself on certain items and I can't find myself at all in Poshmark, but I That's go to crazy. Google. Yes, mm -hmm. but I go to Google and I can find myself and I'm like the first like mm. listings. So Google's algorithm is picking me up, but Poshmark's isn't. So, I mean, is there a magic formula? No, I just think it's consistency and activity. I, that's my- And I feel like the difficult thing with Poshmark is they don't give you a lot of stats. Like, and this is a big con yeah. for Poshmark because I think- people know a lot more about the rhythm of their activity on eBay. And I can say the same for YouTube. I can go on my analytics and I know live how many people are right this minute viewing my video. Which and I know so cool. it's, it's really helpful for yeah. shaping how I run that business. And, um, you know, I will know how many people are viewing my things from a recommended search from YouTube, how many people were given, who got a notification, who are subscribers and they're clicking based off of a notification. So I, I see if I'm getting a lot of repeat viewers or if they're new viewers being recommended. They're, the analytics are, there's so much to know that I, I haven't even scratched the surface on what I know about YouTube. There's just no information on Poshmark. So it's, it's a little shady in a sense that you, you can't get the information if you beg for it and there's not a person to call or talk to. That is something that few times I feel like I've had to be talked off the ledge on eBay after like crazy episodes with customers or returns. It felt really good to call and speak to a representative. Even if I wasn't getting the answer I wanted, I was at least getting an answer that made sense that, um, gave me room to grow something I could move forward with. And there's just none of that on Poshmark. Yeah. And I almost it's feel like it's weird. a secret for a reason. Like maybe 
this is how Poshmark is learning how to grow their app. I don't know. I feel like they have the information on their end, but they're just not ready or maybe not willing to share it. They have to have the information. But I mean, to answer that question, I don't think there's a magic formula anyways, either. The biggest correlation I see is listing and sharing my own closet. And when I'm listing and I'm sharing my own closet, I am making sales. And it doesn't always happen the day of, like I can have a day where I list 15 items and my dad shares my closet in the morning and then I share to a party at noon and then I do a, almost a full closet share in the evening and I might have $50 in sales. Right. And I'll say, wow, I put in a really big Poshmark day. Today, I only listed two items because I had other things and, and I had three decent sales today and I really did very little work. I might see the fact that I didn't do a lot of work today in tomorrow's sales, you know, but I do think that there's a correlation. It's the only way, like if, if I need to drum up business, I list, I share, and I actually send offers and just, yeah. and just start conversations with people. Well, at the end of the day, it's activity, right? Like the more activity. Active you are. Yep. That's basically how the algorithm's going to work on all platforms, no matter what it is. Um, right. Our next question here is: Can you explain the bundle feature and how buyers and sellers utilize it? So uh, I did, feel like this is like a visual thing to explain, it but is. it's difficult to explain. However, I guess the the gist of it is a bundle is like a cart, right? Like you can put items in your cart when you're on a website. A bundle works the same way. However, a bundle is also used for people to put items in to save to maybe purchase at a later date. Um, I personally use the, as a seller, I use the bundle feature to write comments privately to a potential buyer and, yep. you know, either talk to them and, and see, are they interested? Are they just looking and kind of get a feel for them and do some negotiation that way? Um, sometimes I create the bundle for them and be like, hey, I know you really love these items. Um, here's, you know, here's what I'm looking at. If you're interested in buying them, you know, and, and we just have the conversation as a buyer, me personally, I don't put anything in a bundle unless I absolutely want it. And I kind of test the seller and see, okay, if I bundle these items, are they going to send me an offer or are they just going to let it go kind of thing? And if they right. let it go, then right. I'll send them an offer. So I think I'll give them a little bit of time before I do that. So that's how I personally yep. Think of it like a cart, I guess, is the easiest way to explain it. Yeah, think of it as a cart and as a private way to communicate with your buyer or with your seller. So oftentimes I'll get comments under an image, under a, a listing. And, yeah. you know, and, and I, if I feel like someone's going in the direction of a sale or asking me private questions about YouTube or something like that, like I will move it to a bundle just to keep the conversation going and just take it off the public forum, basically. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And so I, I do like the bundle feature. Um, it was a long time. I think it was watching Nicole's state video um, on how to, you know, switch to sell view and then add things that people have liked to a bundle. I didn't know how to do that for probably a year until I saw her video. And now I use it all the time, all yeah. the time. And I will say one of the very few stats that Poshmark has put out is that if you communicate through words with your buyer on bundles, you're more likely to sell it. And there's some, some percentage and I, I don't know it, so I'm not going to give a percentage, but um, 
if people buy, like, and you go in and you do start a conversation with them, let me know if you have any questions. Um, I have a feature. Um, there's also a feature in your bundle for people who don't know where you can set it to like an automatic discount. Um, yeah. So like I had mine set at 20% automatic for um, three items, but I switched it recently to 15% because I just, and then when I bundle things and it's stuff like if somebody bundles three things that I am dying to see go, I will go in pretty quickly and say, Hey, I noticed you bundled these things. You like these three items. I'm doubling my bundle offer today or this weekend or whatever, or for your bundle. It doesn't even have to be. And I'll say, so just so you know, anything that you bundle today will be 30% off, like no pressure. Let me know if you have any questions and that just kind of plants a seed. Right. And then they may run with it or they may just be looking or whatever. And I tend not to run blanket sales in my closet, um, like 50% off everything. But I do individualize a lot of bundles like that. And and I I don't want to run a 50% off sale because if I if I just listed something yesterday that I may have paid up for and I'm looking to get a certain dollar amount, I don't want to put my whole closet on sale. But on the same token, if someone bundles four items that are from 2018, I'll give them a really good bundle value. <laughs> so I just like right. to personalize it based from based on what's in the cart. Yeah, I think to go off the what you just mentioned about the stat, um, it's customer service at the end of the day. That's the business that we're in, right? As resellers, it's all about customer service. So if you're interacting with the customer, if you're engaging the customer, if you're making the customer feel comfortable, um, the chances of them purchasing increases. So mm. there's that. Okay. Next question. Yeah. How diverse do you recommend making your closet? Is it confusing or irritating to potential buyers if you have items from men's women, kids home in your closet? So like if you have an extensive variety in your closet, is it irritating to a potential buyer? I personally don't think it is because as Lori had said previously, and I do the same thing, if I'm looking for something on Poshmark, I'm in putting it in the search bar and I'm mm -hmm. picking my criteria. So um, no, it doesn't bother me personally. I don't think it bothers other people either because they might you know, be searching for an item your item pops up, they click on it and they like what they see. They might go to your closet and start looking at other things and be like, oh, you know what? So-and-so was looking for a sweater like this. Let me grab this too. So I think having the variety is like being in a store, right? You see other, like a TJ Maxx, you walk in for one thing or Target and you walk out with yeah. 25, I, I, yeah. right? I like, struggle. I totally agree. And I struggle with these types of questions, not because it's not a good question. It's a great question, but I feel like sometimes as a reseller or somebody who puts content out, you get these questions a lot. And, and I just feel like, you know, somebody who shops at the loft is different than somebody who shops at REI and somebody mm -hmm. who shops at Walmart is different than somebody who shops at Nordstrom. So I just never see a need for every reseller to market the same way. You know, like I, 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 I struggle when I see like banter going back and forth between people like, Oh, you shouldn't be this, or you should be curated or you, because I just feel like there's no should or shouldn't like, it's just kind of, if you want to sell, you know, the most beat up cheap things, like that's your prerogative. And if you want to sell, you know what I mean? So it doesn't bother me. I am 
totally drawn to certain closets where I know it's like boutique items and it's like they have a preset filter and everything looks crispy white and beautiful. Like it's in a magazine. Like I love looking through those closets. My closet doesn't look like that. I love your closet is very aesthetically beautiful to look at. You know what I mean? And, um, well, thank you. But (laughs) no, oh, it is no. And, And there are some that are just so lovely. And and then there are some that like make my eyes burn because, you know, <laughs> I see what they're having for dinner in the background, but like, it's really none of my business. Know. You know what I mean? I know. If your uh, items are quality items and people are searching for them and they want them and the desirable, then, you know, it is what it is. Mix and match. Who cares? And you know what's funny? Like, I find that I'm a lot pickier. Like when I have a daughter who's 18 and her friend's they're just so chill. Like they don't care. They're like, Oh, like if they see something draped over a chair and it's cheap, like for, for young kids, it's about money. Like what is cheap? Like, Oh, well, I don't care. I I don't care if this has a white background, this one's 10 bucks and this one's 35. I'm buying the $10 one. That is appealing to some people. Mm-hmm. To me, I would probably buy the more expensive thing because I think it's coming from a cleaner home, you know, but that's me. Right. And kids on a budget are like, I want the cheap one. I don't care if it smells like cigarettes and has dog hair. I'm going to wash it. You know? like, <laughs> it's just, it's funny, you know, I mean, it's just different for everybody. So no, that's a very long answer. You can tell it's getting late, Daniela. We're really going off the rails here. Yeah, I mean it's midnight, guys, but we're gonna we're gonna finish up. We got three more questions to go, so we're just gonna keep going here. Uh, the last, well, not the last question. This is the last general question. That went, there's two specific questions: one for me, and one for Lori. Um, so this last question here is: Do you recommend sourcing based on style or aesthetic? Do you ever go rogue and pick up items you know you don't that don't fit your personal style or closet, but you know is valuable? Oh, this is my favorite question. I just love the question, do you ever go rogue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Whoever sent that, thank you. I love that. Um, go ahead. What do you think, Daniela? Um, so I tend to source based on style and aesthetic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do I go rogue? Yes. Um, I don't necessarily, like, I don't, like, my personal style, I guess, kind of comes out when I source. And it's funny, because when we went to the bins, both you and Mira said to me, like, your style is more classy, more business-like, and, you know, like, it's got a certain look to it. And it definitely does. And when I pick items up, I definitely am drawn to certain things, right? Yeah. But I also... I feel like we all had, like, our little rhythm we were in. They were all, oh, like, yeah. slightly different things we were all looking for. But overall, we all kind of picked up the same things at the same time, right? Like, we're all, everyone, I don't even know how to say this. I don't know how to put it into words because it's such a difficult thing to like. I feel like there are certain brands that that, that transfer onto all different styles. There are certain things that are green lights for 90% of the resellers out there. And then there are those other pieces that might define your style a little more. You're a little more classic preppy, um, professional. And maybe it's because you work full time and and these are things that you see in the workplace. I am more like a boho wannabe. Like I I love like, (laughs) yeah. Like I always say, if I was like a size five, four, I would like run around in like, you know, braless with 
just w flowy dresses all the time. You know, it's just, I have to dress this, I dress a certain way to fit my body type, you know, like yeah, my same. style, <laughs> the inside of me is like screaming to be like a boho girl with flowers in my hair. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I would say that I definitely source based on style uh, because I, I have a hard time. There are certain things that I definitely pass on that I know are money makers to answer that part of the question, because it's just, um, where was I? Uh, it was somewhere. And it was like a, like a heavy, like men's Dickies jacket and Dickies are like making a comeback right now, or it was like a card heart and it was so heavy. And I'm just like thinking of like hanging it and storing it. And, and I know it's going to be like, $40, $50. And I was just like, no, I'm not buying it. I just, I don't want it. Or like gowns, like tall things that I know I'm going to have to put high on my wall to hang. Yeah. And it's going to be a pain to photograph. Sometimes I'll just pass on it because I can't be bothered, even though I know it's going to bring me money. And it's also not bringing me joy. You know, if that yeah. same gown was like a Gunny Sacks vintage, I would obviously grab it, you know, but um, that's like a dream. I have yet to find a Gunny Sacks. Really? Yeah, I've never found one. They're good. I mean, I was so like sky high on gunny sacks because I have found four and my oh first my, my first two sold so quickly. And um my second one that I bought, I literally listed it and went in the bathroom and brushed my teeth and came out and it sold for $149 full price in less than five minutes to somebody in LA like I think heading to Coachella. And so then I was like sky high. I found a couple more and I have two that have been in my closet for months. One that started at 149 and is now marked down to 70. Um, but it has a lot of flaws on it. So that one I have like lowered the price. And the other one is this beautiful prairie dress, dress almost identical to the $149 one that just isn't moving. I have it priced at 119. So you just never know. Like, that's just it. Like, I was so sky high on gunny sacks and now I'm kind of like, it's going to be my buy Felicia category when I finally sell it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like our personal style always shines in our sourcing and Closet. closets 100%. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are things that are valuable that I turn down all the time because I don't know, it doesn't interest me. Like a plain helmet lang t-shirt. I don't care that it's a dollar 99 at the thrift store. I'm not going to sell it. I don't, I don't care. Like that doesn't give me joy. It doesn't fit my aesthetic and it's not really worth much of anything, but a really cute vintage leopard print sweater with no tag that I think is the most beautiful thing ever that I've found in a while. And that's going to sell for maybe 25, 30 bucks. I'm 100% going to pick up because I love the style. Yeah. I, I do think with this, it's a lot of digging. It's a lot of time. If you don't love what you're picking up, I think it's an uphill battle. I don't do like, there are people that are like jumping over other people for electronics at the bins. I could care. Like I couldn't oh care. My God, like, don't care. It is just so foreign to me. And I yep. just think of storing it. And I think of the research, like I love researching fashion designers and in different eras of clothing and like diffusion lines and all that really excites me. You have to go with what you love. You don't have to. I mean, some, and again, I, I say this, everybody's in a different financial situation. Like mm -hmm. there might be people who are selling whatever they can sell because they have to. And, and, you know, it, you can be more choosy or, or you can't, but, but really it's a personal choice. There's no wrong answer. I agree. So the last two questions are, 
our questions, one for me and one for Lori. So my question that was given to me is how do you balance your full-time job and reselling part-time? This could be like its own podcast episode on its own. So I will give you a sure. brief, brief, brief answer. Um, basically the best way to balance full-time work and any type of side hustle is creating a schedule for yourself and sticking to the schedule. Like, you know, sit down one, like on a Sunday or Monday, write everything out, what your plans are, what you're trying to accomplish and you need to do it. Like you can't really stray from it. It's difficult when you work, work full time and you're so invested in your side hustle. Like I love reselling, but I also have a full-time job that requires my attention during the day. So on my breaks, I can absolutely find time to um, share or list. Uh, I source on my breaks. Mm -hmm. Like I find time throughout my day to fit reselling. Um, And then once I get home, you know, I have a routine that I have at home. And I mean, look at tonight, I'm recording a podcast and it's midnight I have work the next day, but I enjoy doing this. And this is how it just fit my schedule today. You know, you have to make some sacrifices here and there. And there are days that you have to take a break. You have to have time off from both things. You cannot go, 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 go on reselling and then forget to take a break from it. I think it's so important to schedule a day or two off, just like you would have from your regular full-time job. So, yeah, because you can really get burned out. Daniela, I have to give you a lot of credit. I feel like you are the perfect example of, you know, um, you need something done, you give it to the busiest person in the room. Like, yeah. you know, that saying, and I feel like that's you. Like, you you just turn, you churn through stuff, man. Like, you get things done. It's very impressive, especially given your work day, you know? Yeah. It's just in my nature. It's who I am. And, you know, not everyone behaves and and works the same way that I do. Not everyone behaves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my behavior sometimes is questionable, but <laughs> I am just, um, sometimes I think I come across as, uh, I'm a sarcastic person, but I think sometimes I come across as being like almost snobby and like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not snobby. It's just like, I know what I know and I know what needs to get done. I just need to do it. Like I'm not. Oh, that works for you. That works for you. Right. Like I'm not rude. I'm not being snarky. Like it's just, this is the way it has to be. And okay, this might not work for you, but this is the way it has to be for me. So I think knowing who you are in that whole process is important too. Um, And, you know, reselling doesn't define you. Your full-time job doesn't define you. You just have to find that balance in life and make sure you give yourself some space to just do nothing or do something that you enjoy, like reading a book or working out. And I'm definitely going to do more of that this year. Like that is definitely Mm. on my list of things. Get off Instagram. You know, it's such a rabbit hole. We're all guilty of it. Um, But it's such a, it's such a time sucker. I, I like, I, I hear a lot of people saying that social media makes them feel bad about themselves if their packages aren't as high or if they're oh, not. I, who cares? <laughs> well, know? but no, but I mean, some people do. I don't want to dismiss that. I mean, some people no, care themselves, but, um, but for me, it's more of a rabbit hole. Like I don't feel bad about myself. I'm just like, Oh, and what did they eat for lunch yesterday? And Oh my gosh, her son is so cute. <laughs> I am just like <laughs> off. Talk about going rogue. And I'm like, all right, Lori, dial it back. Like you have like eight packages to send out in a, so many things to do, like whatever it is, you know, but anyways, this yeah. is why Lori and I work. <laughs> this is, this is why we're a good team. <laughs> yes. Yep. We are definitely coming at it from two different angles. Um, right. 
So Lori, I'm going to ask you the, your question. This is the last question, okay. guys. And it is, um, is it difficult to start a YouTube channel? What do you recommend to a new reseller who may want to start a YouTube but may not know how to go about doing it? Hmm. Um, my advice is always just do it. Don't be afraid to look silly. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid that the only person who's going to watch your video is your husband or your best friend or your mom, because it's probably all who is going to watch your video. However, if it's something that keeps you up at night and it's something you believe you want to do, then just do it. I'm not an overthinker. And sometimes I get in over my head because I jump head first without thinking things through. But I remember I'd been thinking about going on YouTube. I, I don't even know what my motivation was just, just to share, I guess. I, I don't know. It wasn't to make money or I think it was just to share my perspective or, or do a haul. Like I felt like I was finding some good things and I enjoyed haul videos and I wanted to do a haul video. I think that was the extent of how I started. Um, and I say this all the time, but I filmed it the wrong way. So I filmed it with my camera vertical and I was in my pajamas and I was in my basement, which was a mess with all my things in back of me. But I just happened to get home from Savers after a really great haul and I wanted to share it. And I just said, I'm just going to do it. And actually, um, Rafaela, my friend, the bins queen was like really encouraging and I had watched a couple of her videos that she had on her YouTube channel, which had kind of been dormant for a while, but she's active again. So I would say just go for it. Um, I learned so much from YouTube. Um, right now I am binge watching um, the content bug and she's all about growing your YouTube channel and you know how to do a lot of like little detail oriented things that I feel like I've missed or I want to just sharpen up at this point. Um, and so I learn a lot from other YouTubers, just like I do with reselling. Um, and don't worry about editing and all that stuff. Like just do it. Let everybody know it's your first video. You'll get more support than you think and just go for it. I like it. That's You're going to hear my dogs bark now because Jay just got home from the uh, Uber. So we may perfect. hear some barking. It's good timing that we're finishing up. Yes. So thank you everyone for listening to this q and I'm sorry that it's super long, but these are really great questions. And we know a lot of you wanted the answers to this. So we hope you enjoyed it. Great yeah. questions. Thank you everybody who's been tuning in and supporting Thrifters Villa. We're having a really good time with it. And uh, we're looking forward to our next episode. So stay tuned. Thanks everybody. Thank you everyone. Bye. Have a great night. Bye.